Well, good morning, everyone. I want you to know I just now, before coming up here, received a text from Pastor Rob, and he wants uh, me to greet you as well, and wants us to know that he's praying for us today. And so I'm glad to be here this morning, and to be able to uh, share uh, with you the Word of God, and uh, I want you to turn with me then to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21, and you realize that we're now approaching then, especially with this Sunday, uh, the Easter season. And uh, Christians especially are celebrating the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so during this Easter season, we remember, as we should always, but we remember that uh, Jesus made this sacrifice that he gave his only, uh, he gave his life, he shed his precious blood that we might have the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be able to have a relationship with the God of the universe and that we would be granted eternal life. And so as born again believers in Jesus Christ, we, th- we think of this season as a celebration of his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so Palm Sunday, in essence, begins this, this week of passion. And so only five days left where Jesus then goes to uh, the cross of Calvary. And I'm sure you realize that Easter is celebrated around the world. And it's not only celebrated by those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, but it's celebrated by um, people uh, who really uh, are not uh, his children in a spiritual sense. And so they love the season. They love being able to uh, have uh, special meals prepared and indulge in special food and be with family and friends and be involved in all kinds of different things. Uh, I have been doing a lot of traveling. Uh, in fact, my wife and I are glad to be here today because I think it's seven weeks that we haven't been, we've been in church, but not this church. And uh, I, we were uh, thinking about how, uh, you know, people are celebrating this season. And I was in South Florida uh, talking to uh, a pastor at the church I was at, and, and uh, the pastor talked about Uh, Someone being a CEO, and I don't know what you think of when you hear the word or those letters, CEO, but my mind went to chief executive officer, and I looked at him, I said, oh, of what company? He goes, no, it's not the CEO that you're thinking about. I said, well, what CEO are you talking about? He said, Christmas, Easter only. And so there's a lot of people in the world who love to celebrate Christmas, and they love to celebrate Easter, but they're really not focused on the true meaning of Easter or Christmas for that matter, but they don't really want to think necessarily of the fact that what we as true believers are celebrating is the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth willing to die on the cross of Calvary and shed his precious blood to pay for the penalty of our sins and to give us forgiveness of those sins, and to give to us eternal life. And so Easter is special for us. And Easter season then begins on what we often uh, refer to as Palm Sunday. It's found in every gospel, 
uh, in the New Testament. Uh, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter uh, 21 today in the first 11 verses. Uh, they were read for you earlier, but I'm going to read them again, and we're going to take a look at what the passage says. Uh, we're going to take a little look at the pre-passage because it helps us to understand the passage itself. We're not going to take the time to look at the post-passage, but the Lord begins then his last week, his last five days, and everything that uh, proceeds is very significant uh, in the scheme of everything. And so here in uh, you know, Matthew chapter uh, 21, uh, the Lord is uh, making, in a sense, a national and official presentation of himself to be the king of Israel, to sit on the seat of the, the throne of David. And so in this passage, we find uh, not only the revelation officially of Jesus Christ as king, but we find officially and nationally uh, the rejection of that king. And so in essence, the Lord was coming in uh, on this donkey and coming as a, a conquering king and uh, willing at that point to uh, present his kingdom and have that kingdom established. But nationally, not just personally, but nationally, Israel rejected that king. And so we find that then in uh, this uh, passage. And so uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit then today. I, I've been kind of privileged of preaching, you know, different passages uh, for many, many years. And so when I look at a passage now and when I'm asked to preach somewhere, I kind of look at it and instead of going back and looking at sermons that I had, I had preached on certain passages in the past, I've looked at it and I said, all right, what are my personal observations now after quite a few years uh, in ministry? And so I want to share that with you uh, this morning uh, and just kind of make some personal reflections on uh, this triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, as was mentioned in our video, uh, maybe we can look at this, that this was a parade, a very important parade. In fact, I would suggest to you that there was a decisive turning point uh, this day, Palm Sunday, uh, historically uh, throughout the world. Because historically then, Jesus is rejected as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to establish his kingdom uh, here on earth as we look at this account. It, he's on this military road, 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem, and, and the Lord is, is traveling on uh, that road. And uh, this hill is overlooking uh, the city of Jerusalem that we find uh, the Lord. And so when you, when you think about this, I, I want you to think about, here's this parade. There's loads of people. I don't know if you love a parade or not. My mom uh, loved parades. She was born and raised in Trenton, New Jersey. And, and because Trenton, New Jersey was not only a large city, but close to other big cities, they, they had unbelievable parades. I remember uh, being taken, even as a little boy, uh, to watch these big parades in uh, 
uh, Trenton, New Jersey. My mom loved it. Elaine and I were down in South Carolina for a month, and, and while we were in South Carolina on Hilton Head Island, we were not very far from Savannah, Georgia. And Savannah, Georgia had this big St. Patrick's Day parade. It, it was of national interest even. But on Hilton Head, not on St. Patrick's Day, but on the Sunday just before, quote, St. Patrick's Day, they had a parade. And uh, the church that uh, we were going to that morning, the first service was at 8.45. And so we're driving uh, to the church about quarter after eight. And uh, this parade wasn't supposed to start until two or three in the afternoon. But people were so excited about the parade that even while we were going to church, we saw all these, uh, you know, chairs, lawn furniture, all at the road because people were so excited that there was going to be this parade. And they were planning where they wanted to sit, you know, what they were going to, uh, you know, take with them to eat, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know whether you like a parade or not, but I can tell you this. This triumphal entry drew a great crowd. It was a big crowd. And uh, so I want you to follow along as I begin reading then these 11 verses, and then we'll take a look at some personal reflections or observations about this account. And so Matthew tells us this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to be. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah in chapter nine and verse nine of, of the book of Zechariah, uh, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's a great account, isn't it? There's so many lessons that we could learn from this account uh, on Palm Sunday. But there are four things that I want you to think about this morning with me, four observations. The first is this that God has compassion for the hurting, the broken, and the needy of this world. Now, where is that? Well, I want you to realize 
that when we're trying to understand a passage of scripture, it's always important to see that passage in context of what's going on in the book itself. And so if you look back to chapter 20, and uh, I want you to take note, beginning in verse 29, here's what we read. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they had heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, notice, in compassion, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem. See the context here. I think it's important for us to realize that we have a God who, who has compassion for those who are hurting, for the broken, for the needy, for, for those who are, in a sense, on the outside. And all of the New Testament and the Gospels, we see the Lord Jesus being a model for us on how we are to have compassion, how we're to be sensitive to the needs of other people. I mean, you think about how Jesus reached out all the time to those who uh, had needs to those who were, were broken, like these two individuals who did not have eyesight. And so God is there for us. I think that's what the account wants us to realize, that God is there, that God cares about us, that he will help us because he is a God of compassion. I think it's exciting to, to realize that God is so sensitive to our needs and our brokenness. Some of the scripture that I've been studying while I've been, uh, quote, retired, really in the Gospels, and, and, and showing how often the Lord Jesus reached out to those who, who were broken. You think of, of even in accounts in the Gospel of Matthew, how he healed not only the blind, but those who were sick. How he reached out even to those uh, who were demon-possessed. Don't you love the account in Matthew chapter 5 where this man comes and he has legions of demons. And the Lord casts out the demons, throws those demons in a whole herd of pigs, and then the pigs go running over the cliff and die uh, in the ocean. I mean, isn't that an exciting account? But you see what it shows is this, that the Lord is concerned about those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who, who have great needs. Now, don't just think, well, that's the poor or the homeless. It's, it's all of us, no matter what our lot in life is. There are times when we're broken, times when we're hurting, times when we're in great need. And God wants us to know that he's there for us because he's a God of compassion. He's sensitive to our needs. I was thinking about even King David. In one way, King David wasn't a real needy person. Uh, in other ways, he was. And I have uh, enjoyed reading Psalm 25 
Uh, I've been reading it uh, quite often and just looking at what uh, David has to say to us in Psalm 25. It's a familiar psalm, I think, to you, but he, he says this, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. He goes on and he's, and he's in essence making a prayer to God to make known to him his way, you know, God's ways and to teach him his paths and, and so forth. And David then says in, in verse five, we're gonna come back to this verse, but I'm gonna read it now. He says, Lead, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. But I want you to notice what he has to say about himself, David here, King David. Notice in verse uh, Uh, 16. David says this, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. You ever feel that way? I mean, you can feel lonely and afflicted even in the multitude of people. And sometimes we're called to go through some hurtful times, times where humanly speaking, you know, we wonder how we're going to make it. Well, David was there. And David's looking to God and he says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I'm lonely and afflicted. He says in verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. You ever feel that the distresses of life are just overwhelming you? David felt that way. But he realized that he had a God who was a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of care, a God who was concerned about him. And so he ran to God and asked God for help. Verse six, or 16, 17, 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. You drop down to verse 20, he says this, oh, guard my soul and deliver me, and so forth. So even David, the king of Israel, going through some tough times. I want you to to realize, and I hope you grab hold of it, that we have a God of compassion, and he's compassionate for those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are in need. And as an example to us, then you and I need to realize that God wants us to be sensitive to one another. I didn't realize it was Communion Sunday today, but it's interesting to me anyway that Communion Sunday Uh, At the end of communion, we have the offering, and part of that offering today is for a benevolence fund. Benevolence fund is really given so that we can reach out and help those who are in need, those who are broken, those who are going through tough times. That's part of our being sensitive to the needs of people. So I hope today you sense God's love and care for you. And that you realize that he is a God who has compassion for the hurting, the broken, the needy, and so should we. Well, secondly, I want you to realize that God is in control. This is an account that really shows to us that God is is in control of all things. And it's hard, isn't it, sometimes for us to watch the news and, and to look at some things even in our own lives and conclude that God is in control. But he is. God is in control. And so this account really clearly shows this. And how I want you to notice then uh, how in verse uh, 2, he he tells these two disciples, 
go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a a colt and you bring them to me and if that person questions that you're stealing his animals, just say the Lord has need of them and he's going to be okay with it. (coughs) So here we see how God is omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all. See, this didn't happen by mere chance. He didn't think, well, you know, go down there and see what you can find. No, he directed them to go to the exact place where they would find these two animals. And he's saying, bring them because I have need of them. And so you and I need to realize that nothing, absolutely nothing, can deter God's plans. That we have a God who uh, doesn't allow things to just happen by chance or accident. And with that in mind, though, what do we need to do? Well, we need to, be, uh, have, we need to have complete confidence in him. And we need to be individuals then who, who completely commit our lives to him because we know that he is in control of all things. Do you believe that today? We see this account clearly shows that God is in control and uh, his plans uh, will come to fruition. And so these men found the donkeys, just as Jesus said. In fact, that's emphasized in this. And uh, he uh, shows to us then that God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. Third, I want you to realize this, that God is calling the humble to serve him. And so this account really shows the humility even of the Lord Jesus. And so uh, it tells us, notice in verse five, say to the daughter of Zion, and of course this is a quote from Zechariah nine, and it says this, behold your king is coming to you, what, humble, and mounted on, on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. And so here we we see that God is calling uh, the humble to serve him. And and that's exciting, that God can use anything, anybody, and that God is a a God who uh, is looking, however, for people who will humble themselves before him and be obedient to him. See, I I think that we have more of a problem with pride than we want to admit. And see, pride really pushes us to think that we can handle life on our own. We don't say it, but maybe one of the very hardest verses for us to deal with is found in the book of Proverbs chapter three when it says, lean not on your own understanding. Because I think some of us think we're pretty wise and pretty smart and we can handle all of this. But you see, we need to humble ourselves before God. And of course, we know and probably see it so often, even in uh, the news, that pride goes before what? A fall. And there have been people that you and I have seen that have fallen pretty hard. But let's not condemn them. Let's realize that because we so often are filled with pride, that we're really not trusting God the way that we should. 
and we're not doing in obedience what he has called us to do. So when you think about this account, you know, I think it's exciting to realize that God used two unnamed disciples. You realize that we don't know who, what the, who the disciples were. He didn't say, okay, now here's the two that I, I want to uh, do this for me. So we're here today even reading about this account of Palm Sunday, and we know that there were two disciples, but we don't even know who they are. Wonder how they felt. Wonder if they, you know, read this before they passed away and, and thought, why wasn't I recognized? Why is my name not there? Don't they appreciate me? I did exactly what God wanted me to do, but my name's not even there. You ever feel that way? Maybe you're not recognized for doing something that's really good and that really you felt God wanted you to do, but you don't feel very significant because nobody's recognized you. Well, I can tell you this, if you do what God wants you to do, whether anybody here on this earth recognizes it or appreciates it or not, God recognizes it. And he's the one that you want to someday hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so here's two unnamed disciples, but it's also two animals for crying out loud, two beasts of burden. And uh, neither of them were the white big horse that would be viewed by people as, wow, look at the horse that he's riding. No, he humbles himself and he goes into Jerusalem on this donkey. And of course, we could talk a great deal. I, I remember one of my very first sermons when I was a student at uh, Davis College, uh, asked to uh, speak at a youth retreat. And I found that sermon a number of years ago when I was cleaning out things and I thought, wow, man, oh man, what a sermon was this. And I didn't mean that in a good way. But the name of the sermon was The Lord of the Donkey. But you know, there's truth to that, that God's able to take this donkey and use him. And I thought to myself, you know, if God could take this donkey and use a donkey, he can take George Miller and use him. He can take you and use you. It doesn't matter when you seek to do what God wants you to do. And so God can use us all, small and great, and uh, he uh, can be the one who humbles us if we don't humble ourselves. So I think about this though, and I think how God is such an example here, even in regards to humility. You know, there's a saying, maybe you've, you've seen it, it's, it's not always used for positive things necessarily, but, but the, the saying is, you can't be what you can't see. There's a lot of truth to that. You can't be what you can't see. And so what we need to do is realize that Jesus himself humbled himself. He was a humble servant and he is our model. So here's what we see and that's what we need to what? Be. We need to use the Lord as that example. I just want to turn you back a, a page and realize that this was something that Jesus dealt with even in chapter 20. You know the story, I'm not gonna read it. But it begins in verse 20 of chapter 20. And there's this mother, and she's the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And she comes up to the Lord and says, Lord, 
What I'd like to see happen is I want one of my sons to sit on your right side and one on your left. I want them to have places of prominence. I want them to really be appreciated and, and people really view them as significant and worthwhile. And the Lord deals with this. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, humility and so forth in this account. And he says this, you, you know that the rulers uh, of the Gentiles, this is in verse 25, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so here's a mom who must be filled with pride. Her two sons are followers of Jesus. And out of that pride, she wants them to have places of prominence. I wonder if they might have been the two disciples to go get the donkey and not even have their names mentioned. I'm not sure. You and I need to realize, however, that God uses the humble to serve him. Well, the last thing that I want you to take note of is, is this, and this account really focuses in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 21 on this. Let me read uh, those verses. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I want you to realize this today, that God is to be celebrated in worship. That's his whole account, really. There were those who, who really worshiped him. They were the true believers. And so they, they were individuals who, who really knew him and they worshiped him. They, this was a celebration because they knew he was the true Messiah. He was truly going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he was going to sit on the throne of David. We're to be sacrificial in our worship and and I don't know how you can worship and leave out the whole issue of sacrifice. And so even in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, it talks about the sacrifice of praise. And so we're, we're in essence making this sacrifice to God when, when we worship him. And really what we're doing is adoring him. We're worshiping the, the God of the universe, but we're worshiping his glory, his greatness his goodness, his grace in our lives. And so we're to, to worship him. We're, we're to realize who he is. Now here's this, this crowd of people. I think the entire crowd probably was aware of who Jesus at least said he was. That's why they were there. They had heard of all the miracles he performed and how he had uh, you know, healed and, and how he had done such great things. And so here, they're here he's going to be marching in and, and they're there because they're aware of who he says he is. Now, what we have to understand though is this, that awareness is useless in one sense unless it leads to acknowledgement. And they weren't going to necessarily acknowledge that he was the Messiah, but they were aware that he said he was. 
But you see, even awareness is not enough and acknowledgement is not enough to get us to heaven. It has to lead to acceptance. And so we need to accept even today as we reflect that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth to suffer and to die and to shed his precious blood, that you and I might have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. But you see, it's no good. It doesn't do us a, a, a bit of good if we don't acknowledge it and accept it personally. Because this king is not just the promised king of the Old Testament. He's the personal king. So I want you to notice what it says in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, what? Your king. And so you and I need, need to realize that we, we need to be individuals who not only are aware of who Jesus says he is, but we need to make sure that we acknowledge who Jesus is, that we accept him personally, and here's where the worship comes in. We adore him for how good and great and glorious he really is. And so there were those then who who clearly uh, uh, worshipped him uh, in that matter. There were, there were those who uh, were elated. There were those who, who just uh, you know, could care less. Some of the same crowd that probably shouted uh, triumphantly at this point were ones who later were crying out, crucify him. And so you and I need to realize that probably there was a lot of misunderstanding here. They're talking about Hosanna, save, rescue. From what? Well, from Rome, from injustices, from problems. Lord, save us from Rome. Get rid of Rome. Bring, bring in the good life. That's what we really want. You see, Jesus came this first time to save from what? Our sins. And we need to personally accept what he has done. And so Jesus is the, the only way for salvation. And so he's not only the promised king, but the personal king and must be personally known by each and every one of us. And so God wants you to have life and to worship him. The key is accepting personally Jesus as your true Messiah. Accepting his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And I can tell you this, it will make all the difference in the world. It will make all the difference for eternity. 